0: On today's episode, we'll be talking about retro tech in healthcare that's actually still making a difference. And be sure to follow the show on Twitter at the hashtag HITSM and our personal accounts at TechGuy and at Colin underscore Hung. Plus, check out our 14 years of Health IT blog content at healthcareittoday.com. You ready to go a little retro, Colin?
1: Always willing to go a little retro. You know, I only wish we were talking about <laughs> video games because then that would be really, really fun yeah, discussion.
0: Video games or music, retro music. They're so good.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's and that's kind of one of the things today. You know, have we actually passed the point where some of these technologies are now actually cool again? Right. Because they're so old and they're still around. Uh, but it should be it should be interesting.
0: Definitely. I mean, I think we've seen an evolution of technology, but it's amazing what still lasts.
1: Yeah, and let's, right, and let's get right into it. Right off the bat, the one retro technology that I think people love to hate and would love to see an end to, yet it still serves such an important purpose, and that, of course, is the facts.
0: Uh, the good old facts. I mean, I have horror stories about the faxes from my own career. So I think that's where a lot of the disdain for facts comes from. Uh, you know, trying to read an old fax was terrible and trying it would print out. I don't know if you remember the thermal. Yeah. Uh, that, was, that was just terrible. So I, I think we, you know, some of us have uh, so much trauma associated with trying to read the crappy old facts that, that the current version of fax, the digital fax, doesn't get the credit it deserves. Uh, yeah, So, yeah, I mean, fax is still a reality in healthcare, and I actually don't see that changing. But I have seen some interesting changes. One was the move to digital fax, which mm. almost every organization has done. And if you haven't, you're, you're making a mistake. Like, if you have a physical fax in your office, that's ridiculous, and you should fix that. Because there's some amazing digital options, which are at a great price, Price point And accomplish so much more higher quality, better workflow. So I think that's something that's really interesting. And the other one, and I think this was from our friends at NoTube, they actually, I think it was them that announced a really interesting integration with their digital faxing, where it would say, Oh, do I have a direct address for them? So using the direct protocol, can I just send it that way? If not, let's use a fax. And so, you know, that's a really interesting approach that uses newer approaches such as direct email and then also old technology fax, because you still do need to send the information to the other organization.
1: Yeah, you know, as much as we kind of dislike the the fax machine. I think fax protocol and faxing is still one of the only ways to achieve a semblance of interoperability, right? Like there are, you know, not everyone has an EHR that is um, interoperable capable or even even, uh, open enough to accept information in from an external source but almost everybody in healthcare still has a fax number. Most doctor's offices have a fax number. And so you can fax something to them, right? And whether that, you know, you may not have to stand at a fax machine to physically put in the papers, uh, but you are using fax technology so that on the receiving side, they are getting it and maybe it's being turned into an electronic document on the other end. Uh, but, you know, despite what we think of, you know, that that whole process of standing in front of that machine and pushing that green button and waiting for that, you know, beeping sound to happen, uh, <laughs> fax is still viable in the sense of, look, if you need to get information from one physician to another and you have no relationship with that other physician, fax might be the only option to electronically send it because email is not secure enough. You might not have an email relationship with that person. Uh, you, you don't wanna courier it, right? That's expensive. And so, you know, fax is, is what you're left with. So, you know, despite, again, despite what we wish it wasn't around, it still serves a very important purpose.
0: Yeah, and I understand the ACTS, the FAX group, because FAX does have its limitations. It doesn't have uh, very specific data. It's usually a sense it becomes a PDF or an image file as opposed to granular data that could be inputted into the right place of the EHR. But I also see the side that says, let's not knock the most interoperable part of healthcare, (laughs) which right now is the FAX. And so once someone has a solution that Every healthcare organization has, so you can send that data to them, and two, they can do it in a format that they can actually ingest into their EHR or whatever system of record they're using. Once you have something that can do that, and then I'm happy to ask the facts, right? But until then, let's, uh, you know, let's at least give some uh, acknowledgement that the fax is doing what it should do, and it shouldn't receive the undue attention that it's getting.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I, I think everyone kind of, whenever a topic of facts comes up, people on Twitter always use that one scene from, you know, The Office, right? Uh, you know, uh, and 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 from, uh, oh, I forgot that other movie, I just on the tip of my tongue, where they smashed the fax machine, and, you know, they're just going to, everyone uses that meme, and I think definitely that's part of it. I mean, everyone's frustrated with the whole, you know, putting in the papers and waiting for it and everything, but, but I think it, it does sort of, I painted an incorrect picture of what modern faxing is like. Most of the time people are, are not actually at a machine. It's all done electronically. It's from your desktop, and it's just received using that protocol.
0: Yeah, and of course, we'd all love to have granular data sharing between every organization where the right information is shared at the right time with the right people, and it automatically gets put into the right fields in the EHR, which then get filtered, so just the right information gets to the doctor or nurse who needs it in order to treat the care, the patient perfectly, and provide just the right care, but we're not there yet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not, and that is... the new and. And, you know we've been talking a lot about physician offices, but then you know you bring in long term care, you bring in a, a tertiary care, and all these other players that are getting into the healthcare world, but they don't have the same interoperability standards or capabilities, and so what are you left with again you're left with a fax machine um, yep but one of the alternatives and one of the things that you wanted to talk about John with interesting was Scanners, Uh, that document scanners in particular. That's sort of like it's kind of like a fax machine, but that technology has been around for ages. In fact, um, the listeners might be uh, interested to know that uh, at one point I was a certified document image architect, which meant that I actually worked with scanners and document management systems uh, as a as a vocation. Uh, But then I saw the light and I went into sales and (laughs) marketing.
0: So, uh, I think you just raised your nerd level like three points or something. So that, 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 that's...
1: <laughs> I, think that's a, I think I have still have my certificate somewhere. I'll have to bring it out next time. <laughs> we, can, we can include it
0: in the post that we share with the with this episode. But, it, you know, it's it's interesting, right? Everyone looks at it and says, why do we need scanners? And, you know, I think we'd all be happy to do away with scanners because, you know, we've been talking about the paperless office forever and it's like yeah who wouldn't love a paperless office it turns out a paperless office isn't a reality because what happens when a patient shows up with a stack of 100 pages of their medical record well what are you going to do you can store it in a file in a chart somewhere that never to be seen again or you can scan it in so that technology actually is really useful Uh, the same is true with a A lot of the other documents that you receive, whether it's a referral from other organizations, whether it's information from another organization that gets mailed to you, there's many that are still doing signatures. I'd love to see that go away, but many organizations are just not comfortable with it. They haven't kind of grappled with the digital signature idea, and so they get the signature, and sometimes even from a workflow perspective, they don't realize there's great technologies even from you know companies like interlace health formerly formfast that would do the signature in the exam room on an ipad or on a a other device that allows you to do a digital workflow and they don't know that so when they sign it what are they going to do of course they're going to scan it. Now, I have have the scars from scanning uh, and making sure you get the right one. And I I think most of healthcare has learned this as well. But uh, the the, the new scanners are are way better than what they were previously. I remember we used one of these all-in-one scanners and we burned right through it because the scanning volume was so much. We finally realized, oh, okay, that's why you pay $1,000 for a scanner is because I need to be able to do high volume scanning and I need it to last and not just burn out after a month of scanning. So, you know, luckily the technology's come a long way. You know, I featured an article in Healthcare IT Today a, a while back, uh, a new scanner that was more in the three to $500 range that could do some high volume scanning, but still was at a price point that was more reasonable. So I think they've come a long way.
1: Yeah, you do get what you pay for in document scanners, and that was true back in the, you know, early, late 90s and the early 2000s, and it's true today. You know, yes, you can use a desktop one for your own personal and scan a few documents here and there, like your tax filing or, you know, stuff like that, but if you're really going to scan a medical record that's a few hundred pages, uh, and you're going to do that multiple times with multiple records, you definitely need a scanner that was built to handle some form of Volume, right, and and those typically are in the thousand plus range. In order to get one that's fairly robust, but I think that's where I see the use of document scanners still is. There are a lot of physician offices, especially, that still have a ton of paper records. Now maybe they're not adding to those paper records very much anymore with the electronic medical record, but but they have legacy, right? They have all these legacy documents, and when they retire or when they close, they are obligated to keep those. Uh, documents. And they're certainly not going to take all those records and stick them in their basement. right? They're going to want to find a solution to scan it. In fact, I've had a couple of docs uh, who are in this exact situation reach out to me and say, hey, Colin, do you know anybody who provides this service? And surprisingly, there are lots of companies still out there doing it, uh, or they wanted to buy their own scanner and just do it themselves. And there's still a need to digitize old paper records, uh, even though maybe we're not generating as many paper records as we used to.
0: Yeah, and I've been through this a few different times as well. Uh, I've seen a lot of different approaches. One where they called thinning the chart. So it, they used to do this in the HIM days when the chart would get so large, they'd thin it down to just the things that matter. So we've seen the same with scanning where they thin the chart and they scan in the things to the EHR that's needed. That so that's one approach. The other one is scan as you go. So as a new patient comes, you scan the whole chart in so that it's ready as as they come. Uh, you know, I think we're past that if we're Many organizations, and now they're stuck with just this uh, this archive of old charts that, like you said, have to be dealt with. And and it really is amazing. I've seen two, two, two processes here. One is you hire the summer intern, the college student, the high school student that you know you want to hire. Usually it's a doctor's son, a friend, you know, something like that. You buy a nice scanner, and they spend the summer scanning in all those documents. You know, you can have mixed results there, right, uh, You know, depending on the quality of the person you hire, as usual. It is amazing what some of these high-volume scanner companies do. They actually clean up the chart. They organize it into certain tabs. They make it available in a real-time archive solution that's single sign-on from your EHR to be able to access it. So, you know, it is a great solution to archive those, you know, stacks of patient charts that are still there. And they're costing you money. I've seen a lot man, this is going way back in my my, my uh, article writing career on, on healthcare IT today. But, you know, we would often talk about, oh, what's the value? Should I scan? Should I not? And, you know, many times that chart room can become an exam room and that becomes a revenue center for the organization. So, you know, there is opportunity there and there's cost to storing it. There's security issues storing these old paper charts that have no audit trail. So there's a lot of reasons why scanners are, are still valuable and I think they'll be valuable for quite a while to come.
1: Yeah, and of course, we haven't even touched on the topic of, you know, scanners in the payer world. I mean, the amount of documentations for claims and for other things, I mean, is is just astronomical. And I remember doing a lot of work with a lot of insurance companies, in particular, with mountains of scanned documents that needed to, to go through just in order to enable an, an electronic workflow on that end. So uh, document scanning is, is still still here. And it's, uh, I won't say it's cool, but I would definitely say it's retro uh, to see some of these older it's machines. Definitely retro. Hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Healthcare IT Today with John Lynn and Colin Hahn. Today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Westfax, a global leader in broadcast fax, fax to email, and enhanced API fax connectivity. They are a cloud fax provider specializing in HIPAA secure fax. For more information, visit westfax.com. Great. Joanne, well, let's...
0: It's fun to look back at these other technologies. I mean, and, you know, we take them for granted. It's kind of like, you know, I wonder if we'll do a retro episode on EHR uh, five years from now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully hopefully, when your dream of a voice EHR happens, we'll all be like, yeah, remember the day we used to type all the fields in and people will laugh. <laughs> and So, yeah, I remember that. I hated it. <laughs> Ooh, that's good. Uh, you, you can
0: that's funny
1: <laughs> one day one day but let's move on to another technology john one that i actually wrote recently about and uh and and then a little bit surprised it's as popular as it is which is of course the pager
0: yeah you would think that pagers would be gone but they're not and, and you know to be honest uh, the pagers are are a bit of a mixed basket and you know and it depends on how the infrastructure is in in your organization so that's one thing that i think is worth sharing now is that reliability of pagers depends on how well you invested in your pager infrastructure in the beginning but many organizations spent a lot of money and built a very robust pager infrastructure so i think there's two sides to it there's the organizations that invested a lot and the pager infrastructure is still really viable and effective and there's others who didn't and it's unreliable and it's not as effective for them so i guess that's where i'd start is you know like hey this world is not you know, totally, uh, it's it's not the same across every organization, like say Wi-Fi, you know, I think, you know, everyone's built up their Wi-Fi infrastructure where that's available, although there's challenges to
1: both. Yeah, you know, recently I spoke with Spoke, (laughs) S-P-O-K, the company, and uh, they were kind of taught me a little bit about, you know, why pagers are still around, you know, for one, the technology is super reliable, it's been around for a lot longer than Wi-Fi has, Especially with an organization that has older buildings that have much more dense walls, a lot of lead in them, a lot of older equipment as well, a pager uh, frequencies go through that kind of material a lot better than Wi-Fi signals do. Uh, and there's also, the, uh, the, as you just mentioned, the cost, right? For those that have invested in a paging network that's robust, you know, why go through the cost of adding Wi-Fi technology on top of that only to replace something that's just as good, at least in terms of getting the emergency messages and the alerts to people? I mean, you, you wouldn't, you can't run, you know, a two-way voice communication with video over a paging uh, frequency, but you can get a broadcast message and emergency alerts and those kinds of things to a pager much more reliably than you can wi- Wi-Fi in a similar organ- in a similar older building. And so, you know, paging systems are still around. In fact, you know, Spoke was telling me that there's over a million that they're still managing uh, in in healthcare alone. So wow. it definitely is a technology that's not going anywhere. And they are making enhancements to it so that it's not like, you know, we all think about the pagers as one line of alphanumeric text, right? But the <laughs> modern the modern pagers are a, truly like a text machine. Um, and, you know, they are able to have multi lines of text. You can respond very quickly. Um, it's, it's actually a pretty robust technology.
0: Well, and it is. I mean, I think to your point, it's amazing how many hospitals were built more like bunkers than they were, you know, the modern... Uh, infrastructure because their walls are so thick and that does cause so many problems for signals like Wi-Fi. And, you know, I feel bad for all those IT infrastructure people at healthcare organizations that have to deal with it. Uh, I know how hard it was to do it in a modern building, let alone some of these older ones that wasn't designed for. But I think it is interesting when you look at the pagers, uh, especially because of the idea of physician burnout, Many physicians don't want to be fully involved because it's a distraction to their work and it's overwhelming and why didn't you reply immediately because there is almost that feeling if I text you, you should text me back quickly. Whereas with a pager, the feeling is I'm just sending you a message and you're going to get to it as quick as you can. And so in some ways, the pager helps with physician burnout because it's just sharing the info you need. Granted, there's certainly limitations. I'm sure doctors, when they receive the page, 25% of the time or whatever the number is, look at it and say, oh, man, I wish I could just reply quickly and be done with it, too. So, you know, like everything in technology, there's gives and takes. But there is something to say about a one-way messaging system and the power of it versus a two-way, which, uh, you know, which has the expectation of a quick response as opposed to respond as efficiently as you
1: can. I'd be remiss if I didn't also point out that uh, I was enlightened to the fact that a lot of the pages now are not just for clinical staff. I mean, traditionally they have been, but now, and especially with the COVID pandemic, a lot of people in the physical plan like the maintenance mm-hmm. and the engineering uh, crews have pagers so that when a room needs to be cleaned there, there's a page that goes out when uh, something goes wrong with a piece with ventilation for example a page can go out to the hvac crews and, and they can respond so it's not just clinicians that are using pagers uh, it's all the entire staff inside the hospital can make use of this technology and they you know those people perhaps don't need you know a full smartphone to just for that one purpose of getting a hold of them
0: yeah and i'm interested to see because you pointed out aptly that pagers and the low frequency that they go on can pass through walls and other things much easier than say a wi-fi signal but 5g seems to have some of those similar characteristics. So I am interested to see what happens with 5G and will pagers hop on that network? You know, will that technology start using that, you know, or will they evolve to compete with that or will 5G become so synonymous that it does replace the pager infrastructure. I'm not sure. You know, I think it's still too early to know. I know enough about 5G to know that it, it it's definitely a competitor. But uh, you know, are the cost point to a uh, are they to the point where it makes sense to implement 5G? Are the devices going to cost a lot for 5G? You know, is it going to be able to provide the connectivity through the walls that the pager infrastructure does? It seems promising, but I think it's still early to know the answers to those.
1: Well, we'll definitely see. We'll definitely see. Certainly, no one's throwing around the pagers like we do. We want to like like we want to bash around a fax machine. That's for sure. <laughs> <Let's> <laughs> they don't get, realize they're still there. <laughs> they, uh, that's probably true. They're much smaller too. But let's get to our final technology that we want to talk about. And that is the good old television. Right? I remember, I still remember the days when I used to go to hospital and you got you know when you wanted to rent a television, they literally came in with a you know small color screen tv that actually had to physically be mounted to an arm and 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 that was the television that you got and it got like maybe four channels right (laughs) Uh, but now just and just looking at the televisions that are in hospital rooms today these are flat screen internet enabled ip enabled televisions that not only allow you to have you know netflix and your entertainment channels but also can broadcast educational material and inform you can order your your meals on it you get your information put up there your name and and so forth it's just incredible what these televisions can do
0: yeah well you you kind of dated yourself there colin was it black and white or was it color i, I will not i said color i said
1: color i said color <laughs>
0: No, but uh, I mean, for me, I I had a little different experience. It was like, oh, there's cable television here. So, you know, I didn't have cable TV at home. So going to the hospital and having the TV there with cable television was actually pretty exciting. But uh, I guess, you know, it's it's interesting how much uh, that's part of our experience in a healthcare organization is the TV. And it goes back to we're sitting there, a captive audience. We're bored. Uh, I I saw something called boredom therapy, right? Or distraction therapy, right? Yeah, I I think I actually took that from your article. Distraction therapy is fascinating. And and I understand it because, you know, we've seen it if we've been in an airplane. When you're stuck in an airplane, I've been on 14-hour flights to Dubai, and guess what? The distraction therapy works. You don't, you know, It's amazing how quickly the time passes uh, when you have that. Now, I think it applies to a lot of other places in, in the hospital where many times you are waiting. But it is amazing how much they've improved and how interconnected they are. It will be interesting to see if that becomes a standard of care, though, because that is not evenly distributed at all either. And certainly in new hospitals, they implement a lot of this technology, but a lot of the older ones don't have it. And they've invested a lot in old TVs. So how do they upgrade it? What's the investment cycle? Many are going to be stretched. Do they do it? But then it also goes to really interesting technologies like, you know, I've seen people working on... Identity-based ones. So when the doctor walks in, the name of the doctor comes up on the screen and maybe some information about that doctor, so that you knew that that was a doctor versus a nurse versus the cleaning staff, and you knew who the who was coming in. And in this world where you know we're not sure, you know, there's been challenges associated with gender, with race. That actually is a pretty powerful idea that they would actually indicate that and i can look on the screen and see that it's doctor and say oh yeah this is my doctor coming in regardless of who they are ethnically or or gender wise
1: yeah and of course the the tv and and others um you know solutions from companies like uvidion which was that distraction therapy article that i wrote you know they're they're now talking about you know digital whiteboards. And so when the doc or the clinician is inside the room, they can pull up something and show you what's happening. right They can bring up some material about the, your condition or maybe the treatment that you're about to get, the physio you're about to do, those kinds of things. So the TV is no longer a one way. It's an educational. Uh, piece. It's a communication. And as you put it, there's some exciting stuff going on around identity, right? Just knowing knowing who's in the room, who's been in your room, leaving messages via a, an IP-enabled TV. There's just so much uh, capability that are, that's coming to that one device. And uh, certainly, I no longer think that it's uh, retro, even though televisions have been around for a long time. It's, just, it's definitely become more of the central hub of that room. Uh, especially for patients who maybe don't have access to their own device or their own tablets.
0: Absolutely. And you can see it evolving even around the telequarantine idea where the doctor or nurse doesn't want to go in the room for risk of infection and spreading the disease. Uh, You can see those TVs hooked up to a a webcam and boom, you can be able to talk with the patient and be able to give them the care they need, but remotely in a way that's safe and it it reduces the risk of spread of the disease to the caregiver.
1: Well, one of the things for sure i uh, you know nowadays you don't have to worry about you know renting the tv or getting a black and white one or a color one or or having cable those are just standard now the question is you know do they have netflix or not right like that's well
0: luckily you probably have your cell phone too so they uh, that helps a little as well
1: (laughs) there you go you just cast to the tv right that's how it works that'd be awesome (laughs) (laughs) listen thank you to all of you who tuned into this episode of healthcare it today for more details about our show, check out the programs page on healthcarenowradio.com. And please share your voice and engage with the community at healthcareittoday.com and on Twitter using the hashtag HITSM. I'm Colin Hung, and with my friend and health IT collaborator, John Lee. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.